I V M. Folks, welcome to Pesa Pesa. I'm your host Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter, and this is the True Beacon Special, as that name specifies. We are going to talk about a very interesting, really interesting asset management company and a fintech startup that was founded to create wealth and value for those who believe in India's growth future. My guest, Nikhil Kamath, co-founder and CIO, True Beacon, and of course, Zeroda. Regular listeners of Pesa Pesa would remember that we had Nikhil's brother Nitin, Nitin Kamath, on Pesa Pesa back in 2018 to talk to us about Zeroda. Nikhil is going to tell us about True Beacon. Nikhil, welcome to Pesa Pesa. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this for our listeners. Thank you, Anupam. Uh, thank you for having me. Sure, I'm a big fan of Zeroda, Rain Matter, Fin Shorts, you know, and all the various funky stuff that you guys are doing out of Bangalore. And there's always something happening. You know, there's always something interesting. But today's episode is about True Beacon. Okay, so give us a short version of True Beacon, how it was formed, what it's about, and we'll get into the large version after the break. Sure. So True Beacon is an asset management company. Uh, we put money into publicly traded large cap equity focused on India. This started when I was personally trying to allocate some money to a private bank and a wealth manager. Uh, I found a lot of inefficiencies in the model, and we have tried to curtail and remove a lot of these inefficiencies with True Beacon. So think of it as a transparent, uh, efficient, cheaper uh, asset management company compared to peer uh, asset managers today, focused on the ultra HNI audience, both in India and across the world. Very interesting. So we'll get to that on the other side of this break, but I want to spend some time now on what's happened in this last very very wild year, you know, because it's just some kind of bizarre stuff that's happening. You're at a great vantage point to observe what all has gone down in this last year. You know, key trends, key messages. Uh, we started off with the Nifty down forty percent. Now it's up hundred percent. A lot of people came in, opened DMAT account, trading accounts, and now things are kind of stabilizing. Mm-hmm. Let's walk through how you've observed this entire one year panning out, and then. If you can make sense to us about what's happening, say in the retail market, probably with the work that you guys are doing at Zeroda, and mm-hmm. with HNIs and ultra HNIs on the True Beacon side, let's let's talk a bit about that. Sure. So Anupam, I think pre-pandemic, if you go back to Jan or Feb last year, 2020, uh, the economy was slowing down. Uh, you know, tax collections were uh, waning. We uh, were seeing like a lower GDP number. Uh, things were generally going uh, down anyway. Things were slowing down. I think the pandemic and the lockdown that it brought with it kind of exaggerated that trend and things kind of came to a standstill. Uh, When the markets did recover, I think they recovered much less on the fundamentals changing, but more based on sentiment and money flow, which was available because our Western uh, peers were printing a lot of cash and a lot of that was trickling into our country as well. Uh, That seems to have continued. Uh, I think the correction was overdone, as is the rally today. Uh, I think we've gotten to a point where things are very expensive. At a 40 multiple, uh, the large cap companies in India are trading at probably as expensive a point as I have ever seen them trade at, you know, and I've been trading for a long time, like close to 20 years. So I guess now is the time to stay cautious. Uh, now is the time to know that uh, everything is cyclical in the market. Things go up, but they do come down after and they go up again. Uh, 
So at this point in the cycle, at current valuations, I think caution would be best advised. And for people to you know diversify, not just inside of one asset class, but between asset classes, and to get some risk-free stuff in there is probably a good idea. So India offers a lot of great risk-free assets. You know, you can buy tax-free bonds, you can fund the national highways or an Indian railway, and you can get about four or five percent net of taxes. I think it would be prudent to get that kind of exposure today and diversify maybe a certain part of your portfolio. Got it, Nikhil. Can you tell us something about behavioral changes, right? Because you've been doing this for you know for for twenty years so far, and a lot of people found a lot of unprecedented you get the word unprecedented thrown out thrown you know thrown around a lot in this last uh, in this last year um what is your perspective on this the number of dmat accounts that were opened possibly any behavioral changes from the hni side because for for example what i have been hearing is a lot of them got dissolution with mutual funds and went directly into stocks We've had quite a few wealth managers uh, on Pesa Pesa. They've been telling us about some other trends um, within both categories. You know, whether it is a retail, whether it's the H and I category. Anything that you want to add out here from your perspective, from what you've seen in this last one year? I mean, are the retail guys more savvy? Have they done the right thing by opening TMAT accounts? Has the trend stopped on the H and I side? What are you seeing? Let's talk a bit about that. I think what the retail has done this time has actually been quite smart. Uh, typically, the retail does not make money. Uh, they come in after a rally or they come in uh, uh, generally too late where there's not much left on the upside. This time they came in mid-crash. I think a lot of them came in around 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 nifty and they're all sitting on a good you know, 30, 40, 50% gain today. Uh, it's probably one of the few times in history that the retail has come in directly and made a substantial sum of money. Uh, great for the ecosystem overall, because you know these people will go out and talk about it, and they'll probably uh, that one and a half percent, which is the participation per percentage of uh, retail and you know the financial markets in India, which is abysmally low, will probably go up. Uh, in terms of what the retail uh, demographics have been, I would say, uh, let's just talk about our clients for a second. I would say uh, the average age kind of dropped from 33 to about 30 during the pandemic. So a younger investor came on board. Uh, the average ticket size they came in with was about 80,000 rupees per account. Uh, in terms of the male female demographics, we get about uh, 16, 17% of the new audience as female and a vast majority continues to remain the male population. Why retail is disgruntled by asset managers and mutual funds, I think it's uh, their own wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. uh, over the last decade, uh, these, these guys have uh, riddled investors with so many fees. You buy a fund, the distributor charges you 1% or 2%. The fund manager then charges you 2% a year if you make money, if you don't make money. Uh, there are lock-ins in place. If you want to take out your money early, you pay an exit loan. There is a setup fee. Uh, if you were to just look at these fees in isolation, ignore everything else and look at that 2% a year, 
if you pay 2% every year for 20 years, if you make money or don't make money, that's half your portfolio that you're paid in fees. Mm. Uh, no fund manager can, you know, really predict what will happen tomorrow. Uh, yeah. We all are, you know, trying to do the best with the same information we have at hand. So I guess what the retail is doing by coming in directly is probably a wise thing to do, considering the ecosystem that has been around for the last decade or two. Okay. Anything on the HNI side? Because uh, it's kind of counterintuitive. I've been told that wealth managers have had like a shower of money coming in in the last one year, uh, despite businesses not doing great. Any 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 views on what you're seeing on the HNI side, or the ultra HNI side, family office side, anything? Sure. So Anupam, one thing you have to bear in mind is we have to be cognizant of the fact that as a wealth manager, we all have to say it. If it's true, if it's not true, we have to say everything is good. <laughs> we somehow think the future will also be good and people are very happy and clients are very happy. Often that is not truly the case. Uh, on the retail side, definitely mutual funds have seen significant outflow. Now, the fees I spoke about on the mutual funds are only higher on the HNI side. Uh, there is a higher distribution fee. There are more middlemen at play. There is uh, less transparency there than even on the mutual fund side. Uh, the government typically comes and regulates the mutual fund product better because so many people are involved and they regulate the niche products available to the HNI a little bit less, so people can charge more. Uh, but if I have to like compare the two uh, two different kind of people, I would say. The retail has seen a further outflow of money relative to uh, the HNI. The HNIs have actually added a little bit of capital. Mm. Folks, we're going to take a small break out here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk specifically about True Beacon and the things that they do differently, their track record, what they've been up to. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And welcome back to this really special episode of Pesa Vesa, the True Beacon special. My guest, Nikhil Kamath, co-founder and CIO, True Beacon and Zeroda. Nikhil, welcome back. Now, tell us, I want to go into True Beacon specifically, right? Because you outlined the use case, the problem that the asset management or the wealth management industry was facing in terms of higher fees, lack of transparency, and a lot of stuff. I had a look at your website. It's very, very interesting. Can you tell our listeners how you do things differently and how you you fill in the gaps that you find that you found in wealth management. Let's start from there. Sure. So when I was allocating my money onto a wealth manager, I chose my private bank back in the day, a couple of years ago. And then I thought, uh, itna fee. I mean, after paying this much in fee, how will I net make any alpha over the market? The uh, most often in markets, Anupam, nothing happens, right? Like we have stellar years, like the last twelve months, and there is an up move and a down move. But most often, market stays in a range. It stays in that 10% window on either side. So I thought if that were to happen and history were to you know, kind of repeat itself and we stay in that range, the only person making money is the fund manager and the fund house. Uh, so we decided to create a product which is totally client aligned. Uh, we said we will not have any middlemen. Uh, we will not have any distributors. Uh, if you want to get onto the platform, you have to seek us out yourself and sign up. Uh, you say 1-2% there already. Uh, we will not have a setup cost. We will not have a lock-in period. So you can add money when you want. You can withdraw money when you want without any kind of an exit load. Then we said, let's get rid of the 2% annual management fee because if the client is not making money, we should not keep charging him that 2% a year. 
So we got rid of that as well. Uh, we went to the extent that we said zero TER. So everything from there's no brokerage, there is no DMAT fee, there is no pledging cost, custody, accounting, all of that is free. The only thing we decided we will charge is a performance-based uh, carry. If you invest 100, unlike another asset manager, all 100 goes into being invested. And if the 100 becomes 110 at the end of the financial year, after you've made money, we will charge 10% of the profits as a fee. That would be one out of the 110 with a high watermark level. So we said, let's try and be totally client aligned. Uh, this is really putting our next on the line because for any reason, if the markets are in a bear uh, phase for you know three years or four years, we have zero revenue as a company. But we said, okay, we believe in the long-term story of India. We're willing to take that chance. And that's how we structurally differentiated. Uh, that was step one. Step two was to make it a lot more transparent. Typically in a Cat 3 alternate investment fund, which is the product PR, it's the only license, the most sophisticated one the Indian regulator gives, where you have the ability to hedge 100%. So if my long portfolio is 100, I can cover the downside risk up until 100% and have a net market neutral strategy. Uh, Typically in a fund, in a product like this, you know, there, uh, there are other fees that one has to kind of like, you know, factor in as well. But we've removed all of that. In terms of uh, transparency, uh, you would, in any other AIF, get what your NAV is, your AUM is once in a month where an Excel report is sent to you by your relationship manager. Here we have created a dashboard where you can log in at any point on a daily basis see where your money is invested, track it on a live basis. And if you want to take out your money, you don't have to call a RM and sell him why you need your money. You just hit a button and the money goes to your account. So we're trying to be cheaper by virtue of getting rid of all the fees. We're way cheaper and more efficient by uh, how lean we are as an organization. In terms of transparency, even, I think we're a lot more transparent because we put all the data out there for people to access when they desire versus them having to reach out to someone and request for that data. Okay. Uh, Nikhil, for the benefit of our listeners, if you could just explain the various products on the wealth management side, right? I mean, you are a Cat3 AIF. Uh, where does that start? That's I think, starts from a PMS, right? Then you've got, what, Cat1, Cat2, Cat3? So you just, just walk our listeners through these various things and the minimum entry criteria, like a, a PMS is now 50 lakhs, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. So mutual fund is the very vanilla product, right? There is no minimum. You can invest even 1,000 rupees. Uh, it's a pooled investment vehicle, uh, no minimums, but very, very vanilla in the way it works that you can only typically capture the upside. Uh, PMS is the next product where it used to be 25 lakhs minimum. Now it's 50 lakhs minimum. Uh, here, it's not a pooled investment vehicle. So if you are 10 different clients, your money is not aggregated like a mutual fund. Here, each portfolio is managed separately. A little bit more sophisticated than mutual funds, but still does not allow for you to hedge the mat in the manner that a Cat3 AIF would. Then come the alternate investment funds. There's Cat1, 2, 3. Cat1 and 2 are more for venture capital firms, PEs, REITs, uh, a lot of private placement. Cat2 allows for you to do 50% public and 50% private, but uh, these are typically locked-in funds with a minimum lock-in of six, seven years and beyond that. Uh, a Cat3 AIF is an equity-only kind of fund. Wow. Here, you have the ability to hedge 100%. Uh, 
the minimum investment is a crore versus 50 lakhs in a PMS. And uh, these typically tend to be the kind of products where you will have arbitrage funds or hedge funds or things which will, uh, a lot of really interesting fixed income products are here, wherein there's no underlying market risk, but you can make 8-9% using an arbitrage bike. Okay. And you said a crore is a minimum ticket size, right? A crore is a minimum. And when you said equity, do you mean listed or there's unlisted also? Only listed equity in a CAT. Okay. And CAT 1 and CAT 2 unlisted. unlisted. CAT 3 is only listed. And CAT 3 can do cash, derivatives, everything. 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 Okay. As as long as it's listed or it's liquid, right? Because CAT 1, CAT 2 is not that liquid. CAT 3 is more liquid, right? Yeah. So So our our mandate is uh, more like large cap equity. So we do, we are a long short fund trying to beat the Nifty by 10%, uh, by 6%. So what we are trying to do is, you know, achieve the risk profile. If the markets go up 10%, we want to be up six or seven. If the markets go down 10%, we want to be down three or four. So it makes it a very conservative fund, which is very apt for the times that we live in today. But over the long term period, over a multi-year period, we hope to outperform the Nifty by about 6%. Sure. I was just going to get into that because you've, you know, so far you, whatever you've done, it's, it's definitely working. Your track record is there uh, for everyone to see. So tell us about processes uh, and performance and your track record and how exactly do you go about achieving your goals? Yeah, sure. So I think it's the entire intent is to keep things very simple. We have two buckets in our portfolio. About 60% is very passive, long only. We stick to the nifty companies, which are the 50 largest companies in India. We don't do any mid-cap or small cap. Uh, We feel that compliance and governance in these 50 companies are at a certain standard, which the larger mid-cap universe is not able to match in many ways. Uh, The balance 40% of the portfolio is very mathematically driven. It's a long short portfolio, which does well when volatility either spikes that's when the markets go up and down or correct significantly so that acts as a hedge on the balanced portfolio here we run strategies around uh, mean regression correlation Uh, we do things like pair trading delta hedging everything which typically does well when volatility spikes in the market what we're aiming to achieve is a combination of these two strategies to give us a six percent alpha over what the nifty does the nifty has traditionally done about 10-11% a year over the last 10-20 years. So we hope to be able to retain, uh, to return the 16-17% kind of risk return profile. So that is the fun. Sure. Okay. Uh, So one question that comes up, do you have a process for mapping out the 60% long only portfolio or for example, are you sector specific? Are you value? Are you growth? Do you run screens? Or what, what would be the criteria there? I would say all of the above, but we are very top down. So we pick sectors first. We have a six-member research team. Uh, So each person kind of specializes in a particular sector. As a team, we kind of shy away from PSUs a lot because they're very uh, very prone to what happens with regulation and government in the country and we can't control that. But we would first allocate what allocation we want for which sector over the next five years or 10 years. And then we have many screens which filter out the stocks that we like and the ones we don't like. Okay. And for the balance 40% long short hedging that you do, are you open, you know, are you open to say something like special situations or do you have some kind of a philosophy there also that we'll do this, but we will not do that? 
Well, typically we don't take directional bets there. Uh, we take a lot of. Uh, I'll give you an example. If you were to be doing a pair trade, let's say Infosys and TCS have had a certain correlation for the last ten years. Let's assume it's one is to one point two. For some reason, say there's a whistleblower news on Infosys, and that uh, correlation is kind of it. Uh, it goes away from the average. So we would buy one, short the other one, waiting for them to converge to the mean again. That would be an example of a paired trade. So we do plenty of stuff like that. Uh, depending on what market conditions exist at that time, we deploy the strategies we think would do better at that point. Great. So you've got a quantish kind of an approach to that entire piece. That's right. Okay. Last two questions now, Nikhil. So first mm-hmm. is very obvious one that I think you would be getting from your friends and family, and I keep on getting a lot from uh, people, uh, you know, on on social media on. Uh, on my podcast, what next? What 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 happens to equities? And I'm only talking equities out here. Where do mm. we go from here in terms of your long term outlook? And what do people do with their portfolios? Because people are sitting on book profits. Some of us are stopping their SIP. Some of us are continuing the SIP. Some people are selling stocks. Some people are doing absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. What would you tell someone new to the market who's actually made a lot of money Mm-hmm. And wants to stay in for the long term. Do you have anything to tell him here? And second, to someone who's brand new, who's actually mm-hmm. entering the market and is a little bit worried. So first category, mm-hmm. someone who's made profits. Second category, someone who's just coming. What's your advice to them? Well, someone who's made profits, I would say book. Uh, maybe not the whole thing, but book a significant portion of it. And someone who's just coming in, I would say things are too expensive. Don't buy today. Yeah. Where would you send him then? I mean, would you tell him to go in a debt mutual fund or an FD or... I don't know. Bitcoin. I, would say, <laughs> I saw your tweets <laughs> on Bitcoin, but yeah, yeah, sorry. Probably not Bitcoin. I think that's also inflated. Uh, I I mean, this is not something that people usually recommend, but I think physical gold is actually a great hedge against many of the things which are not working in the world today, be it like, you know, aggressive central banks, Bitcoin, currency devaluation. Uh, to a large extent, you know, you can kind of equate why equities have rallied with the fact that currency has actually devalued, but it's not reflected in the price yet. Price is yet. Uh, yeah. So so gold actually acts as a good hedge. So I would definitely recommend for people, you know, I mean, the government hates this idea because we don't have any of our own gold in India and we have to, you know, import everything, especially stuff we buy physically, uh, which unlike a sovereign gold bond or something, it has to be physically present. But I think that's a good hedge uh, for somebody to hold. But uh, see, real estate is more inflated than equity, even at this point. Two and a half percent rental yields in the country, outside of the whole cultural phenomenon where your mother and your father want you to own a house and have a kid and a wife to feel settled. Logically, mathematically, it makes zero sense to buy a home, right? At two and a half percent, if I'm going to live, live 40, 50 years more, I'd always rather rent than buy. So I would definitely not recommend putting money into real estate. I would say create a combination maybe. Right now, the the, the entire demographic of India is very real estate heavy. Uh, maybe 70% of a middle class household's asset base is real estate. The home they own, the loan they hold on. Maybe bring that down to 30-40%. Uh, don't have more than 30% in equity. And the balance can be a mixture of you know, risk-free fixed income like tax-free bonds and a commodity like gold or silver. Very interesting. Nikhil, last question. Uh, this is like a checklist for our listeners who are going mm-hmm. out and looking for wealth managers because probably, you know, there is a lot of demand out there. What yeah. would you tell them? You know, what 
what should they look out for? What are maybe three, four questions that they should ask all their wealth managers before giving them money and choosing the right one? Well, step number one would be to make sure the middleman is not making any money. The guy selling you the fund. Uh, this could be your bank. This could be a wealth advisor. This could be anybody. Now, when you're already paying a fund manager to manage your money, I don't think you should be paying a third party to introduce you to that fund manager. A little bit of research online, you will find who has a good track record, who doesn't. You don't need that guy in between. So definitely try and eliminate that. Uh, B, when you go to the fund manager, definitely figure out what exactly he's charging you. Often, pe- often people hide uh, fees and charges. You know, ask him for like a contract note or ask him for, uh, you know, some other client's exact fee structure that has been charged in a year and compare head to head who has charged what. Because this happens a lot in a firm. People say they charge 2%, but they end up charging 3, 3.5%. And that kind of skews the whole thing. So go into the details, figure out exactly what he's charging. That would be B. And C, I think, in my personal opinion, this might not be right, but in my personal opinion, I think stick to large cap, especially in India. Shy away from those small cap companies, those funds which have too much mid-cap exposure. These have high deltas, you know, they go up a lot when markets go up, they fall a lot when markets fall. But as a retail investor, I think you're better placed sticking with the largest of companies. We are much like a 90s Russia, you know, the large, we are very, I wouldn't like to say the word crony capitalist, but uh, proximity to power definitely aids while a company is scaling. So the largest companies in the country will probably continue to scale at a pace faster than smaller ones, which do not have that proximity to power. So try to stick to large cap funds as much as possible and shy away from the mid cap ones. And D, maybe look for an open-ended product with zero exit loads. Uh, nobody has seen tomorrow. If the pandemic has taught us one thing, it's how unpredictable life is. Uh, For you to access your capital tomorrow in adversity or in a time of crisis, you should not be paying 3, 4, 5% of the value of that money, you know, just to get access to that money. Negotiate that down and try to get into open-ended. Very interesting. And finally, where can we reach out to you? If there is a listener out here who has a crore to give you, how how does he start the process? Well, they can go to uh, truebeacon.com. Uh, the website would be the easiest way or, you know, I'm on social media, on Instagram, Nikhil Kamath, CIO, you can reach out to me there. Sure. But for uh, for TrueBeacon stuff, I think TrueBeacon.com would probably be the best. Fantastic. So, Nikhil, thank you so much for your time. I hope to have you back sometime in the future on the show. Thank you, Anupam. It was lovely chatting. Thanks a lot. So, folks, that is a wrap on this episode of Pesa Vesa, my guest, co-founder and CIO TrueBeacon and Zeroza Nikhil Kamath. And listeners, if you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on IBM Network. You can listen to us on the IBM Podcast app or ibmpodcasts.com. IBM Podcast is also doing some great stuff on YouTube. Yeah, do check that out and subscribe to the IBM Podcast YouTube channel. You can also follow us on our social media. We are IBM Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I'm your host, Anubam Gupta, P50 on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening to Pesa Vesa. No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision.